Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad you're here. Happy Father's Day uh, to you and those of you in East Hall. Welcome. Those of you tuning in, welcome. Thanks for coming. All right, uh, we just got finished with Vacation Bible Camp here at the Hudson campus. Vacation Bible Camp will start at the Aurora campus uh, tomorrow, but we had such an amazing time here this past week. I want to give you a, a few stats. One, we had uh, over 1,200 kids running around this building. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you got to wait. You wait. Don't clap anymore until I tell you to. All right. So 1,200 kids running around, learning about Jesus, uh, just having a blast. We had over 500 volunteers. Uh, and those, this is an interesting stat with uh, the volunteers. Uh, the age range in the volunteers, the youngest uh, were sixth graders who had graduated out of vacation Bible camp, and for, this is the first year where they can volunteer, so that, that would be about 11 years old. And the oldest volunteer was the first-time volunteer. She was 87 and said she had the time of her life. Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah, that was great. We wanted our kids to uh, participate in our theme for the year, Making Jesus Famous. So all week, they collected money and turned it in in this contest, and then they gave all that money to India Gospel League. India Gospel League is one of our ministry partners in India, and they have a thing called the Gospel Clubs where they have children come, and it costs about a dollar per child for that child to come to a gospel club and learn about Jesus. And our kids collected $14,000, so that means 14,000 children in India will learn about Jesus because of what was going on inside this building. And I am so grateful. I'm grateful for the past week. I'm grateful for our kids. I'm grateful for those of you who volunteered and gave of your time to make sure that our kids know about Jesus, that the kids in this community know about Jesus, but also that kids around the world know about Jesus. So thanks. All right. Our theme for the year is to make Jesus famous, everyone, everywhere. And uh, we are in a 12-week series we're calling The Dirty Dozen. Uh, Twelve people in the Bible who are unlikely candidates for God to use. I don't know if you've felt like that. You may feel like you are underqualified to tell somebody about Jesus, where you don't know whether you can say it right, or you don't know whether you can answer the questions they might ask. Or maybe you're an introvert, or maybe you have a, a spotted past. In any case, you are in good company because you're exactly the kind of person that God uses to tell people about Jesus. This weekend, we're going to look at the disciple Peter. And the question is, what happens when you fail big? What happens when you fail big, when it's not that you feel underqualified to be used by God, but you feel like you have done something that has made you disqualified from telling somebody about Jesus or from being used by God. Right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 22, or you can wait for it to come up on the screen. Uh, this is where we're going to start with this passage or with this story. I need to give you some background before we get into the passage I'm going to read. Okay, by Luke 22, Luke chapter 22, Jesus is within hours of being betrayed, arrested, beaten, scourged, and crucified. Luke 22 happens on, a, on Thursday night sometime by Friday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. He is nailed to a cross in the process of dying. 
He has gathered his disciples together for the last time in a room that we now refer to simply as the upper room. He has already taken bread and he has torn it and handed it to his disciples and said, this is my body for you. He has taken a cup of wine and he held it up to his disciples and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. You would think that every disciple would be on the edge of their seats, that every disciple would be thinking, I want to soak all this in because I can't believe this is happening and I get to be here. But that's not what's happening. This is what happens. Pick it up in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves? How mad would you be if you were Jesus? You're within hours. You know you're within hours of being uh, betrayed, arrested, beaten, scourged, and crucified. You've taken bread, torn it, handed it to your disciples and said, this is my body. You've taken a cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. And you turn away for a second. When you turn back, they're bickering about who's the greatest. You know, it's like if you were a parent and you just told your kids that you were going to do something spectacular for them. You said, kids, we're going to take you to Disney, right? You turn away, and you look back, and they're fighting with each other, and you go, okay, it's off. We're not going. I'm not taking you guys to Disney, right? Jesus, with otherworldly patience, tells his disciples what he wants for them, what he expects from them. What would it even look like for the disciples to be arguing about who was the greatest? Like Peter was smack dab in the middle of that fracas, right in the middle of that scrum about who was greatest. I think Peter would have said, oh, uh, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, We could ask uh, Moses. I could ask Moses and Elijah since I know them, since I was with them at the transfiguration. We're like this. Uh, Oh, I don't know. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, Wait, wait. Who did Jesus say, and you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church? Oh, wait, that was me. I remember now, right? I think Peter was right there in the middle, and then Jesus says to Peter this. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I want to pull three points out of this passage. What Jesus is saying to Peter, what I feel like Jesus is saying to me, and what maybe Jesus is saying to you. And all three points are coming from verse 32, where Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. These are the three points. Point one is, you're going to fail. He says, Peter, you're going to fail. Second point, you can turn back. You can turn back. And point number three, you can still be used. You can still be used. Okay, first, you're going to fail. 
Jesus says to Peter, when you turn again, and when he says that, he knows. That means he knows Peter's going to fail. Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, have some news. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. If Jesus said that to you, if Jesus said to you, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, how would you respond? Don't you think you would go, whoa, wait a minute, what did you just say? Who's going to sift me like wheat? Satan, the Satan's going to sift me? What does that even mean? Yes, pray for me. Yes, stay with me. Hey, can you stop it from happening? Then stop it. You know what Peter says? Peter, fresh off the adrenaline rush of the who's the greatest contest, which he won hands down, says to Jesus, Jesus, don't you worry your pretty little head about me. I'm good. I'm good. I have all, all kinds of questions. But my biggest question is this. Why would Jesus ever choose somebody like Peter to be one of his original disciples? Why would he choose somebody with such a, a fault line in his character that under pressure he would crack like an egg? Why would Jesus choose someone who would fail him so utterly and completely? Because, of course, you probably know that Peter went on to do exactly what Jesus said. He denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times decisively. And then Scripture says after he denied him the third time and he heard the rooster crow and he realized what he had done, he stumbled out of the courtyard weeping bitterly. The question is, why would Jesus choose somebody like Peter? We're in a series called The Dirty Dozen. Twelve unlikely candidates that God would use. Peter makes the list. Because if anyone should have been disqualified from ever being used by God, it was Peter. And that means if you've ever done anything that made you feel like you were, un, you were disqualified from serving God. If you've ever been divorced and it was not your fault or it was your fault, if you've ever had an affair, if you've ever had an abortion, if you've ever gotten a DUI, if you've ever been in jail, if you've ever done something that no one else knows but you know, if you've ever done something that, where you have let yourself down, let God down, let your family down in such a way that it made you weep bitterly, if you've ever done anything that's made your soul feel like it's shattered into a million pieces and there's no way it will ever be put back together again, then you are a brother to Peter. You are a sister to Peter because that's the way Peter felt. And Jesus loved Peter, which means Jesus loves you. Because Jesus loves broken people, and if you don't, do not believe that or know that, it means you do not know this Jesus. All right, so how did Jesus know Peter was going to fail? Well, Jesus says to Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, and instead of Peter saying, whoa, whoa, then yes, pray for me. Yes, stay with me. Yes, help me. Peter says, Jesus, you don't have to worry about that. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm brave enough. I'm moral enough. 
I can perform better than anyone. You know, there's a difference between religion and what we call the gospel. Real Christianity is about the gospel. That's what our church wants to be all about. Religion is something else, because religion is always about being good enough, strong enough, brave enough, moral enough. If you are here today and you have thought to yourself, you know what, I just want to try to be a good person, I think that's enough. That's religion, and that's based on performance, which means it's like a driver's test. Remember when you were 15 or 16 years old and you uh, took your driver's test? You got in the driver's seat, right, and you put your hands on 10 and 2 and waited, and then uh, sure enough, an evaluator comes and sits in the passenger seat, and they take their pen, and they wait. And you can't wait for the test to be over. Why? Because you know how terrible it is. It is horrible to be evaluated. Listen to this. I I read this, that you make uh, 40 decisions a minute while you're driving a car. 40 decisions a minute. And so while you're driving and being evaluated, every time she writes something down, you're going, what are you writing? Well, what did I do wrong? Right? That's life. That's every day. If if religion is your system, if you're thinking, I want to be good enough, every day of your life, you're being evaluated by God. Every situation, every encounter with your family, Every encounter with your coworkers or classmates always being judged about how kind you are, how compassionate you are, how understanding you are, how loving you are, how forgiving you are, how judgmental you are, every single thing written down. What's just unbelievable to me, uh, just astounds me that anyone can live in that system and think they're going to come to the end of their lives and stand before God and God's going to leaf through their life every day in every situation and his evaluation of them and he's going to go, really good. Outstanding, right? I just don't see it happening. Because you couldn't, you, you couldn't wait to stop being evaluated in, 15 minute, in a 15-minute driver's test, let alone life itself. But the gospel is completely different. Because the gospel says you are not the one who is evaluated, but that Jesus is evaluated in your stead. Jesus evaluated in every situation. How gentle, how humble, how good, how loving, how forgiving. And then Jesus comes to you and he says, you want my clipboard? I'll take yours, you take mine. That's the gospel. And there's nothing quite like it. The reason that that Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail is that Peter said this, He held on to his clipboard and he said, Jesus, you don't have to worry. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm brave enough. I'm moral enough. And Jesus says to Peter, oh, Peter, when you have crashed and burned, when you have have failed in such a way that it has made you weep bitterly, where you feel like your soul is broken into a thousand pieces, you can turn back you can turn back. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he not say to Peter, Peter, I am so done with you. 
Three years I've been telling you about the gospel. Three years I put up with how cocky you are. And here you're doing it again. And I'm within hours of my death. I'm done with you. Why does Jesus say, Peter, no matter what you do, remember you can turn back. You know why? Because Jesus' grace is greater than Peter's sin. Jesus' grace is greater than Peter's brokenness, which means that Jesus' grace is greater than your sin. And Jesus' grace is greater than your brokenness. Jesus' grace is greater than your affair. Jesus' grace is greater than your abortion. Jesus' grace is greater than anything that you have done that made you weep bitterly. Jesus says, you can turn back to me. This is what turning back looks like. Uh, for Peter, it happens in John chapter 21. And uh, when, Jesus, or when Peter turns back, it takes like 17 verses, and that's a, there's a ton of stuff in there, and so I'm going to take it in chunks, and we're going to go through it. Now, this is the first chunk. It's the first three verses of chapter 21. This is what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Let me stop there. The thing I want to point out there is that Peter didn't isolate himself, and they didn't shun him. They were together, even after Peter's failure. So many times when somebody feels like they have failed in uh, their Christian walk, they leave their community group, they isolate themselves, they leave church. And if you're here this morning and you know that you can feel it deep down in you that I'm talking to you, do not isolate yourself. Do not get away. These, they hung together. And, they, and when Peter said, I'm going fishing, they all said, we'll go with you. And it wasn't because they all had a hankering for fishing. It's because they had a hankering to be together. And then it goes on. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. I love that picture. And Peter realized when he realizes it's Jesus, he throws himself into the sea, and then he starts just swimming as hard as he can, and then wading up on shore, and then he stands there dripping and sputtering as close to Jesus as he can, just to be near him. What's amazing is that this story in John chapter 21 is a mirror of the very first time that Peter meets Jesus. It's almost the exact same situation. In Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus was preaching to people, and they were gathering around him, and they kept pushing him closer to the lake. And he finally asked Peter, can I borrow your boat as kind of a floating stage so I can preach to the people? And Peter lets him borrow the boat, and he preaches to the people. And right afterwards, this is what happens. 
It says, and when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Isn't that weird? Almost the exact same thing. Exact same situation. Fishing all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus says, oh, cast your nets on this side. Catch a huge bunch of fish. But the first time, Peter says, oh, get away from me. I can't stand to be close to you. Please leave. The second time, Peter throws himself into the sea, claws his way through the water to get as close to Jesus as he possibly can. Why? Oh, by the way, these are the only two appropriate reactions to the real Jesus. These are the only two appropriate reactions to the real Jesus. I read the Gospels. You know, if, if you're here and you're, you're just thinking, ah, you know, Jesus is just all right with me. I think it was the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> or you're, you're like Ashton Kutcher wearing a T-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And it's like, Jesus is okay. Yeah, I come to church sometimes. It's all right. Listen, I just want you to know, that's not the real Jesus. You haven't come into contact with the real Jesus yet. Because the only two appropriate reactions are Peter's, get away from me, get as far away from Jesus as you possibly can, or run to throw yourself in the sea and try to get as close as you possibly can. And the reason goes back to the clipboards, right? I mean, if, if you have your clipboard, your record of your life, and then Jesus comes close to you and you see his clipboard, right, you're going to be comparing, you're going to go, oh my goodness, your life makes me feel terrible about my life. I don't want to be, be close to you because it's so overwhelming what you demand of a human being. I'm done. I just stay away. But if you see Jesus holding out his clipboard to you and saying, you want mine? I'll give you mine. You will throw yourself into the sea and swim as hard and as fast as you can to get close to him. And that's what Peter did. Jesus will either condemn you or he will save you. There's no in between. And then it goes on. Verse 9. After, uh, it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. You know, whenever I read the Bible, I'm always looking for different things that strike me as strange, like uh, descriptions, and then I want to find out why. And the thing that strikes me as strange in that verse is the way the fire is described. Why would he say a charcoal fire? Why not just a fire? Because it didn't seem like it was that important. But you know, there's only one other place where the scripture describes a fire as being a charcoal fire. You know where that is? It's in a courtyard. It's the courtyard where Peter stood warming his hands when a young woman came up to him and said, wait, you were with him, weren't you? And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know him. Jesus has a charcoal fire going because he's about to do spiritual surgery on Peter. And he wants Peter to recognize that Peter has to confront his own sin. This is something you should know, that Jesus doesn't ignore your sin. Jesus doesn't ignore any sin. 
He doesn't do what we do at, at those awkward family gatherings where you have some kind of broken relationship with a relative and you just both act like it doesn't exist and you smile and just go, hey, good to see you. Right? Because that doesn't heal anything. Jesus is out to heal Peter. And he doesn't let Peter come to him and say, oh, listen, I know the charcoal fire. I get it. I get it. Yeah, but when I was doing that, I was really tired. And uh, there were Roman soldiers. And what else was I supposed to do? He doesn't let him make excuses. This is what happens. This is where the surgery begins. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denies Jesus. Three times, Jesus asks Peter the same question. He is stripping Peter down to the studs so he can rebuild him. He says to him the first time, Peter, do you love me more than these? Remember when, when he told Peter, listen, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Peter said, you don't have to worry. And in one of the Gospels, Peter says, you don't have to worry. I don't care if everybody runs away. I won't. I'm better. I'm stronger. You can count on me. And Jesus says, Peter, do you still think you love me more than these? You still think you're better? And every time Jesus is talking to him about love, you know, Jesus doesn't say to him, this is what strikes me as interesting, Jesus doesn't say to him, listen, um, Peter, you denied me, didn't you? Yeah, three times. Promise me you'll never deny me again, and I'll make you a leader in the church because uh, I see potential in you. I could really use a guy like you. <laughs> so it's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, the problem's not with your performance, Peter. The problem's with your heart. You thought you loved me. You didn't love me. You loved yourself, and you trusted yourself. Will you put that aside, and will you love me? Will you trust me? And Peter says, yes. Yes, and the third time Peter finally says, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you now. And Jesus says, okay, you're ready. If you have failed God in such a way, failed yourself in such a way that you have wept bitterly, Jesus invites you to turn back, looks you in your face and says, you thought you loved me, you did not love me. You were loving yourself. You were trusting yourself. But I ask you now, will you love me? Will you trust me? Will you quit using your clipboard? Will you just take mine? All right? So, Jesus says to Peter after his epic failure, he says, you're going to fail. You can turn back, and finally, you can still be used. And that's an understatement for Peter Right? Because six weeks, almost to the day from this time that Peter is with Jesus on the shore of uh, the lake, he uh, is preaching in front of the temple the very first Christian sermon. 
And after he preaches that 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and the church explodes into the world. God could have used anybody, any of the disciples to preach that sermon. Peter was the only one who had denied Jesus. Peter was the only one who had failed Jesus utterly and completely. And yet God uses Peter. You know why? Do you know what Peter said in that sermon? He told that big crowd of people, he said, God sent you Jesus. Jesus came for you and you crucified him. And then Peter said, but you can turn now. You can turn now and come to him and Jesus will love you and he will forgive you. And Peter's saying, I know that by personal experience because that's what he did for me. When I failed him the most, I turned back and he loved me and forgave me and you can too. You know what that means? It means if you're here this morning and you have ever failed Jesus and you failed him in such a way that you felt like it disqualified you from ever being used by God, what this means is you can turn. And when you turn and you experience God's love, you experience Jesus' love, Jesus' forgiveness for you, then you become more qualified than you've ever been to make Jesus famous because you can tell people, listen, I don't care how far away you are from God, I don't care what you've done, if you will turn, Jesus will love you and will forgive you because that's what he did for me. That's what he did for me. So, whoever you are, whatever you've done, make him famous. Make him famous. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you, and uh, I, am, um, I am overwhelmed. I am so glad you chose somebody like Peter, because that means uh, that you didn't choose me by mistake or any one of us, that you knew what you were getting when you chose us. You knew our fault lines. You knew what we would fail at. And yet, you still chose us. I pray for the people in here who inside right now are weeping. I pray that they will turn to you, experience your love, your forgiveness. And I pray that those of us who have felt that after a failure, that we will be able to tell others and say, I don't care how far away you are from this Jesus. If you turn, he will love you. He will forgive you. Thanks for being a wonderful Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.